we shall start. So let me go ahead and pray for us, and then we'll get started. Father God, we just thank you for another day of life, but more importantly, life in your Son, for truly there is no life apart from him. Uh, we are, there is nothing that we do or can do or will do that will merit what you have given us through Christ. Truly, it is the greatest act of grace and mercy we will ever receive. And Lord, we just ask that um, we continue to live this life responding rightly to that, that is in worship to you and your name and your kingdom. Father, prepare our minds and hearts today that we would be able to learn about worship today and that you would just help us so that we would be able to refine our thinking on this and that we would be closer and closer to seeing you as you are and seeing your will as it is written. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, okay. So, hello everybody. Today, Matthew, is this the last day? Okay, good. Yeah, so this is the last day of Baptist distinctives. Um, interestingly, today is not even a distinctive. What, what are you going to do about it? So, if you have your notes, forgive me for the small font. Um, when you have a big computer screen, things look bigger than they're probably supposed to look like. So, forgive me. I will keep this in mind. But if you look at the beginning, I have the Baptist acrostic that I've been using throughout the week. Um, so I'll just read that real quick. I just attached one or two Bible verses to it. You guys can look at that on your own again. But just to remind us, uh, using the acrostic, the, the list goes like such. Uh, B for biblical authority. A for autonomy of the local church. P, the priesthood of the believers. T, two ordinances of the church, which baptism and the Lord's Supper. I, individual soul liberty. I don't think we talked about this one too much, but essentially it's a man should not be moved unless convinced by Bible and conscience. S, saved and baptized church membership. T, two offices of the church, that's elder and deacon. And S, separation of church and state. So today we're going to kind of talk about, we're well, not going to kind of, we're going to talk about corporate worship. But I figured, if you look at my outline, I figured before we can talk about corporate worship, we're going to have to talk about worship just generally speaking. Uh, we're going to go into uh, two principles of corporate worship. They're known as the regulative and normative principles. Uh, and then we'll go a little bit more in detail about what the Bible commands explicitly about corporate worship. And we'll go to practical application after that. So... Um, let's go ahead and begin. So I figured before we can talk about corporate worship, we just need to talk about worship. And we need to understand what that word means. What's it mean to worship? And so I'll give you my definition as we work through this. But essentially, um, I believe that worship has an inner essence and an outward expression. And I think the verse I would go to is, you'll see it in your notes there, uh, Matthew 15, 8 through 9. It says, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me. So obviously we understand that worship has an outward appearance or at least an outward application or action. But here we see that Jesus doesn't make it seem like just because you do what's right on the outside, that's good enough. Jesus makes it very clear that there's a heart aspect to this, okay? Um, true worship comes from within, 
okay? And, I, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make the claim that it, it is always attached with the truth of who God is. So true worship will always include right knowledge or right understanding of God. Uh, John 4, 23 through 24, if you guys remember the context, he's talking to the woman at the well in Samaria, and he says, the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Okay, so this, con- like I said, this concept of right worship requires right knowledge, right? Um, my next claim is going to be that true worship doesn't only include seeing God rightly for who he is, but it is then accurately valuing him based on who he is. Okay, so you see him, you see him as the Bible reveals him, and then you see that as altogether lovely or altogether supremely valuable. And so I'm going to read uh, Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So worship requires a person to know who the Lord is. And we know that ultimately a person knows the Lord because the Lord has first revealed himself. Correct? And we know that in the New Testament, this process is described as regeneration, becoming a new creature. Part of becoming a new creature is that you now have a mind to see the Lord. And you not only have a mind to see him, but you have a heart to find your affections in him. So this is what I believe worship is drawn into, this, this inner essence of, of knowing that who God is and seeing him as supremely valuable. Now this is going to manifest in action, okay? And I'm specifically going to break it between, um, it's going to manifest in speaking, and then it's going to manifest, manifest in doing, okay? Uh, so Hebrews 13, 15 through 16, this is in the notes, just the first page. It says, through him, and he's referring to Christ, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So if you know in the book of Hebrews, it says, bringing up all the, the shadows that God has, has, has created and revealed in the Old Testament, whether it's priests and prophets and kings and angels. And we see that Jesus is ultimately the supreme of all these things. He is the all in all, okay? So in this case, when we see the word sacrifice, you need to connect it to the understanding of how the Old Testament would have seen it. Sacrifice was the, one of the main means, if not the main means, that the Old Testament people were to manifest worship to God. And so we know that Christ is the one for all sacrifice. We know that he is ultimately the, uh, the um, what all sacrifices of animals and incense and grains and oils was leading to. He is the lamb, right, who was slain for, for our sins. And so what he's saying is that in light of the, the sacrifice Jesus Christ, there is now a way to worship God that is through Christ, right? And so he's saying through 
the fruits of the lips. So this is what I was making the claim that you do it through words and then through doing good. Okay. So when he talks about the fruits of the lip, I think we can connect this to all the things that we see because we're talking about corporate prayer. But what do we do in corporate prayer that involves speaking? Right. That's singing. That's praying. That's repenting. That's confessing. That's teaching. That's admonishing. All these things. And they're all pointing to Christ. Right. And then good deeds. So we can think of like, you know, in Ephesians where it had, or just the Bible, generally speaking, all the one another statements that we're called to do as Christians. Um, we can think about how James tells us how we're supposed to interact with the poor, the widow, the orphan. And then we can even think about when the Bible talks about how to interact with the government. And we can think about how the Bible tells us how to interact with the enemies. And then one of our main interactions is how we now deal differently with sin. Right. So worship is this revealing God, revealing who who God is through Christ by the spirit. You seeing him accurately according to scripture and then you respond to that by living through your words about Christ and and therefore to others. And in your hands, what are you doing in light of who Christ is? Um, So this is a I think I put a quote here. Uh, by John Piper, I think he summarized it really well. He says, the inner essence of worship is to know God truly and then respond from the heart to that knowledge by valuing God, treasuring God, prizing God, enjoying God, being satisfied with God above all earthly things. And then that deep, restful, joyful satisfaction in God overflows in demonstrable acts of praise from the lips and demonstrable acts of love in serving others for the sake of Christ. The reason I want to make sure we go there first is because, uh, especially the whole time studying these Baptist distinctives, it's a lot of like looking into the history, we get kind of into like more technical thinking of theology, but never forget like God cares about your heart and all this, right? I know that I often have fallen uh, short of proper worship because I may know the right thing, but I never thought about my affections for that reality. It was more important that I was right as opposed to, man, God, you are so amazing and good. You are right, and therefore I wish to praise your name. That's why we should be seeking truth, right? So I just, maybe if you guys are, I know we are constantly a people drifting, we always have to be reminded, right? So if perhaps you're on a journey, you need to be shooken up. Oh, man, I was studying a lot about God's theology and all these technical truths, but I was, I mean, my heart was disconnecting. You need to bring it together, right? It has to be together. Um, you're always going to be tempted to separate the two, right? So any questions about uh, worship? Nice. Okay. Now, Corporate worship. I'm going to use a lot of um, the London Baptist Confession, and I actually just printed out the paragraphs for you guys so you can have it and you can mark it up as you see fit. So they have a whole chapter about the church, and paragraph 5 says the following. And the execution of this power, wherewith he is so entrusted, the Lord Jesus calls out of the world unto himself, through the ministry of his word, by his Spirit, those that are given unto him by his father that they may walk before him in all the ways of obedience 
which he prescribes to them in his word. Those thus called, he commands to walk together in particular societies or churches for their mutual edification in the due performance of that public worship which he requires of them in the world. So remember, you're not, you may be saved out of the world, but you weren't saved to be alone. You're saved in a, to be part of a body. And so this is just kind of what is corporate worship is to do everything we talked about together, right? And so that's exactly what corporate worship is. Now, when it comes to this discussion about, okay, what, when, he, when it says here, um, these ways of obedience he prescribes in his word, the question is, well, what are those things, right? And so that's what we're going to kind of talk about because that's through church history has been kind of the question, right? So the, the principles of trying to apply this reality that God calls his people to live together and to worship together, what are the things he calls for? This discussion involves the two terms, regulative and normative principles, okay? So we've talked about the Protestant Reformation quite a bit. And so when the church, when God was lifting up men to read their scriptures and to see it for what it was, and then them realizing that, oh, wow, this Roman Catholic Church, we got a lot wrong. Remember, the call wasn't that they were trying to separate as soon as possible, but rather they were trying to call the church to right understanding. It was to reform them. Okay, That's, that's that word. The problem is that the church as it stood didn't want to do that. The leaders of BBE did not want to do that. And so they separated out of necessity. Okay, I simply say it that way because sometimes we're very quick to be like, yeah, we like to divide and split. But it wasn't, that wasn't like step one, two, or three. You know, that we don't want to run to separation unless we absolutely need to, right? But in this separation, the question was then asked, okay, so we believe that they have essentially disqualified themselves as the body of Christ because they do not hold to essential truths that scripture makes clear, then how are we going to worship now as a church separate from them? Do we just like demolish everything and start from scratch? Do we kind of pick and see? Maybe they got some things right. What do we, what do we keep? What do we don't keep? And so that's the question, right? So the, the two reformers you guys know, John Calvin and Martin Luther, these, they kind of went two different ways, okay? So Luther went the way that we, we now call the normative principle. Martin Luther advocated what became known as the normative principle, arguing the mass, as celebrated by the Roman Catholic Church, should basically remain intact, sans the aspects of Roman Catholic Church worship that clearly violated scripture. So normative principle, and this is the definition here, says that worship is free to incorporate what is not forbidden scripturally. Okay, so what is the normative principle? It's you can worship God, you have freedom to worship God as long as the Bible doesn't expressly forbid whatever you're trying to do. Okay? The regular principle was advocated by John Calvin in the Reformed tradition. They argued the church should essentially start over. So we're, we're throwing everything away from the Catholic Church and we should only permit into corporate worship that which the New Testament explicitly calls for. So one side says you can worship God freely. Obviously, and I want to make this very clear, I don't want to, to make this, this side look like completely bad because they're not. There are people who, who hold this and they really want to keep it in biblical um, parameters, okay? So it's, if, 
If the Bible, we don't want to do anything the Bible says no, but they see the Bible more as guidelines and principles to follow. Whereas in the regular principle, they say, no, 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 no. The Bible seems very clear explicitly. The Bible says, these are the things you do, and those are the things we should do. <laughs> we shouldn't add or, or try to add anything to that, okay? So these are the two principles. So I put a, the summary that you often, if you were to search on Google, it would look something like this, normative. Anything that God does not clearly deny in his word is allowable. Relative, only what God has clearly commanded in the word is allowable. Now, um, let's look at what the London Baptist Confession says, and we'll see which one you think uh, that they stand for, the position. So this is chapter 22 of Religious Worship in the Sabbath Day, paragraph 1. The light of nature shows that there is a God who has lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and does good to all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul and with all the might. But the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imagination and devices of men, nor the suggestions of Satan under any visible representations, or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scriptures. So that's very much the regulative principle, okay? Um, so what I want to do is I, we, I would say that we hold that position. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of hesitant because there's a lot of nuances in this stuff, and we'll, I have some questions to ask at the end, and you'll see why it's a little bit more nuanced than we might think at first glance. But let's go ahead and follow that. So if we're only supposed to do what the Bible calls for in corporate worship, then the immediate question then is, what are the things that the Bible calls for that we ought to do? And the London Baptist Confession continues, to, continues on that matter. So chapter 22 again, paragraph 5. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> All right, so what is commanded? The reading of the scriptures, preaching and hearing the word of God, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in our hearts to the Lord, as also the administration of baptism and the Lord's Supper are all parts of religious worship of God to be performed in obedience to him with understanding, faith, reverence, and godly fear. Moreover, solemn humiliation with fastings and thanksgivings upon special occasions ought to be used in a holy and religious manner. So what are some of the things you heard in there? So let me see if I have my list. There we go. Uh, yeah, so we see singing together, hearing the word of God, the preaching and hearing of the word of God. Um, we have the administration of the Lord's Supper, um, baptism. Um, these are all things, when you look at the proof text, essentially, remember, they're looking for what Scripture calls us to explicitly do. And so all these things are explicitly said that we are to do. I wanted to say, maybe I'll do this one later, but... There is one that's added, and we actually practice this, which is the, um, the gathering of offering. And I'll show you the verse 
um, why we do that in a second. But so these are the things that are commanded, so we ought to do them right now. But here's the question. Okay, so you're telling me we need to preach the word, okay? But for how long? Is like 30 minutes the biblical number? Is it an hour? Like, okay, so supposed to pray, but about what? Like, is there a limit there, right? And so we need to kind of distinguish that God has given liberty and how to, I guess, facilitate these elements of worship. And so we're going to use these two words, and these words are used um, in the discussion here. So we're going to talk about elements and circumstance, okay? And so we'll, we'll talk about the difference between these two here. One second. Okay. So, uh, first of all, uh, so going back to the confession, now we're in a different chapter. Chapter 1 is about, um, I think it's about the Holy Scriptures. And so paragraph 6 says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life is either expressly set down or necessarily contained in the Holy Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. Nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word. Now, this is the part, of, this is the part I want you to pay attention to. And that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the word, which are always to be observed. So, um, to basically explain the difference between elements and circumstances, and you saw it used there, is the elements of worship are the what of worship, okay? The parts that are fixed according to Scripture, so when we examine the New Testament, what were the elements that uh, the confession uh, uh, talked about? That's the preaching of the word of God, right? Uh, that's praying, that's singing songs, right? Um, the circumstances of worship are the how of worship. So this is why I was kind of asking earlier, how long do you preach? If you come together, do you use red chairs or black chairs or no chairs, right? The how we have liberty, the what we do not mess around with, okay? Now, I want to talk about <laughs> some of these practical questions. They're going to seem silly, but I think this is where we get to see, like, how oftentimes we divide over things we ought not to. And there are some things that we ought to be more, we, we think it's a circumstance, but it's actually an element. So we'll, we'll go through this. Um, so the first thing is, a lot of people say, well, when do we worship God? We're called to come together as a corporate body, but when do we do that? Do I do that Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? And so uh, the confession uh, promotes the position that we practice, which is on um, the Lord's Day. So I'll read that. Um, chapter 22, paragraph 7. As it is the law of nature that in general a proportion of time by God's appointment be set apart for the worship of God. So, by his word, in a positive moral and perpetual commandment, binding all men in all ages, he has particularly appointed one day in seven for a Sabbath to be kept holy unto him, which from the beginning of the world to, there's an ending here, to the resurrection of Christ, 
was the last day of the week, and from the resurrection of Christ was changed into the first day of the week, which is called the Lord's Day, and is to be continued to the end of the world as the Christian Sabbath, the observation of the last day of the week being abolished. So those, those proof texts, he'll talk about like uh, when the scripture says like on the first day of the week we gathered together, on the, and then there's the verse here, this is the one I was talking about gathering uh, offerings, it says on the... F- I want you to do this on the first day that we gather offerings for the widows and the poor. Right? So that's how we tie that one in there. So interestingly, I hope you pay attention there. It, in this particular wording, they do say that the Sabbath of old was replaced by the Lord's resurrection day. Some people would have contention there. They would say those things are still separate, but that's just showing you what it says. Okay. But here are the practical questions here. So what I'm, I'm going to ask the question, and I want you to just think about, is it an element? Is it something essential? Or is it a circumstance, the how? Okay, and we'll just kind of go through this. So, should a worship service be held at 10 a.m. or 11 a.m.? Is that an element or is that a circumstance question? Anyone can raise their hand. Yes, Michael. Circumstance. So, what does that mean? That means you have freedom to decide that, Yeah. Next one, should a worship service be two hours long or 12 hours long? Circumstance or element? Yes, ma'am. Circumstance. Some people would say, but the Lord's day is the Lord's day. So some people would actually tell you, no, you're in there sun up, sun down, right? But yeah, I think in this case, we would hold that to a circumstance, right? Should dance be permitted during worship service? What's that one? Element or circumstance? Remember, think about it. Element is the what. What does God explicitly say you are called to do when you come together? Yes, John. It's circ- you think circumstance. I believe the answer is probably an element. We don't see dancing specifically, explicitly mentioned in the worship of God together corporately. Right? So, but this is interesting because this is where you'll see the different position understanding. But remember, just think about it this way. Is it explicitly talked about? When we read the confession, the proof text, they're saying the preaching and teaching and the hearing of the word, um, singing psalms, songs, spiritual songs. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, agree. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. Or clapping. Clapping's in there as well. Yeah, so I, I did a little, so, man, this stuff gets really technical. But essentially, what I'm, my understanding of the position is you need to consider what's explicitly shared in Scripture, and you all, I don't know the word, forgive me, I don't know the technical word they use, but basically, you have to pay attention to when that mode was given, if that makes sense, right? So, like, we would understand that there was worship prescriptions in the Old Testament, right, under when God was their ruler, and now there is now an understanding of worship prescriptions as the resurrected Christ, right? So, I believe, tell me if I'm wrong, I think that's where they, that's how they would distinguish between the two. They would say, you're right, that, that is written, um, but that is not, we don't see that explicitly taught since the, the coming of Christ, Wait, you're going to answer that first, though? <laughs> okay. There's a couple of different things. I think when 
talking about this thing, we shouldn't prove to it. Yeah. Right? So you should, what does the Bible say about corporate worship? Explicitly about corporate worship. That's right. And then determine are those Bible verses that talk about symbols and dance and drums, are they specifically talking about corporate worship? Or are they just specifically talking about what people ought to do? Mm. I think yeah. you got to answer that question, and it's not as easy as just run into a single Bible verse and prove it. And there, it was done, therefore we do it corporately. Yeah. Okay. And then you said there was another question? question. Oh, go for I it. Said, I mean, I think, like, there, like you said, for the Psalms, I think like, one of the more explicit ones to me is just like, and I'm not, I don't know if you said proof of Jackson's thing, but I think I'd like to hear you explain like, like more into like this, like with your biblical argument for why, like, we're just getting more of the Old Testament. I mean, like, are they not the same explicitly? Or is it like act like it's totally different? You know, everything? Um, where, like, especially in Psalm 149, explicitly says, like, sing the Yahweh new songs, praise in the assembly of the godly. Like, the assembly to me makes me think that this is referring to mm-hmm. just, like, gathering together. And it says right there, it says, uh, of the praise thing with dancing, making melody to him, in that This conversation, I don't want to say it's murky because it's not like we're like speaking out of like darkness, but this is the idea of like there's a lot of nuance and depending on how you connect things, it is going to affect the way you worship together. Um, can I, I'm not inherently defending I know everything about the regular principle. Let me lay it down to you. I'm just telling you like these are this is the position and here's the common way of, of it being followed. But just like anything, there tends to be a lot of variation with that in and of itself. I'm actually, one of the questions I'll bring up, you'll see where even we would disagree with maybe what historically would have been held as the position. So can I argue that? To, no, I'm not going to even try. I'm just saying that this is the position uh, that we see in the confession, and this is the position that we lean towards in terms of more of the nuance. I, I don't know how to, you know. Okay, go ahead. Clarify, make it more practical, and like, let's actually think this through. So, are we going to basically say that, like, if somebody's over here shuffling their feet and stuff, that they're like singing worship? Um, like, what's like? Yeah. So, I think the important thing to remember. Yeah, yeah. I think I think the important thing is when we talk about the elements of worship corporately, we're talking about the things that are on the center stage. Does that make sense? Like, those are the things that we are lifting up as the focal point of worship. And so a person dancing in the corner is different from somebody dancing up here. Does that make sense? So we're talking about what are the things that ought to be at the center and focused on. I don't think that we, I don't think we as a church hold to if somebody moves or sways their hips, we're going to give them church discipline, right? But the question is what's happening at the front by those who are leading us in worship? That's, I think, the focal point of, 
what, what we're asking here. Does that make sense? Like there's a difference between like what's being expressed as this is biblical worship, this is what God says, as opposed to you just responding to worship, right? Yeah. Okay. Did you want to add anything before I move forward? Okay. So we talked. Okay. So we talked about dance. So like I said, I think the the position would lean towards that's not a, a main element of worship. Okay. Um, next one would be um, which psalms and hymns should we sing in the church? Is this? Uh, can we just sing any song that talks about Jesus? Does it have to be written by an old dead guy or girl, and then it, it, it's got to be in the Baptist hymnal? Wh- which, which, one, which one is it? And so this is the one I kind of wanted to talk about that's actually very nuanced. If, uh, historically speaking, uh, the regular principle, people would follow that. They would actually say only the Psalms, and they would actually say no instruments, interestingly enough. And so we don't practice that, right? Uh, why don't we? I, this is all, you know, one of the things I keep thinking about as I've been doing this study is like, oftentimes you don't realize you hold something more because just you are in that kind of church as opposed to you asking the question and examining it yourself. It's always very important to look historically why these things are, because remember, our, 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 our faith, our, our practices, or what God, God has revealed himself in history, in time, so we can look back and see the history of the church. So it's good to know, like, Okay, we sing songs now, but when did that start, right? Like if, if we uh, resurrected some of our brothers from the reform time, they'd probably smack us around for playing with instruments, maybe even having chairs. There was some probably they're like in the Old Testament, those people stood when they heard the word of God. These chairs get them out of here, right? That's why I'm saying there's a couple of nuances here that are different. I'm, I'm not trying to necessarily advocate, hold this position and nothing else. I just want you to be aware of these things. Right, men like studied and lived and died for these things, and we often take them very lightly. And you're like, "Oh, I believe this, I believe this," but so oftentimes it's just our opinion as opposed to us trying to study and, and be careful with it. Right? So talk, once again, the Psalms and instruments. We don't. We don't think. Um, one second. We don't think um, the Psalms are exclusive. I think the reason we would do that is when you see the verse, it says Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. So I think that's what gives us. We believe gives us the freedom to sing songs that talk about Christ. Uh, kind of like what John was saying earlier, I'm assuming also the connection to music is that we see worship and praise and singing involved with music, right? But some people would say no, no instruments. Some people would say certain instruments not, right? There's this idea of like <laughs> instruments that like, like drums, that's satanic, right? People have all sorts of crazy uh, ideas there. Uh, yes, sir. Um, so us being in church today, if we saw Christian brothers and sisters in a different church or different denomination doing the instruments would we say that that's an issue of general wisdom or would we call it sin? Yeah. We would disagree. We would just say we don't we just don't agree. Sure. If you want to do that, that's what you do. Yeah. Well, I guess it would be, well, what do you, uh, to what, it, there must be an extent, though, that we might say that's crossing over. Like, so, to your point, yeah. <clears throat> the elements. Yeah. Is there basic elements? Yeah. Public reading of scripture, praying, 
the preaching of God's word and singing, collecting an offering, the Lord's Supper, baptism, and church discipline. That's right, church discipline, that's right. You gotta have those men on melodies. Mm. Now, anything other than that, we leave up to the discretion of the pastors at that church. I'm thinking of Romans 14 right off the bat. I'm not judging another man's servant. Yeah. I'm not judging God's servant. He has to give an account to God. The elder of those churches have to give an account of God for the things that they do there. That's right. As do we. So I'm not going to call those. If a man is, has a Bible open and he says that we should be dancing in the church service, by all means, get some dancers. I just don't agree that that's the right interpretation of that text, but I'm not going to call it sin. Yeah. Yeah. And so just to make sure we, we set the barriers, pay attention to what he said. He said, as long, because remember, people who hold the normative principle in a healthy way would still tell you the Bible does explicitly say certain things and explicitly doesn't say to, to do not certain things, right? You see the big distortion when this normative principle is taken to, you know what? I'm just going to do whatever I feel like it. So they'll grab a verse that says you have freedom in Christ and they'll just do whatever which way which we know scripturally the Bible does talk about, especially in the Old Testament, the idea that you don't get to worship the way you want, God calls you to. We see what happens when uh, worship done out of God's way, what it leads to, right? We talk about the strange fire um, and the, the beginning of the first priests uh, of, of God's people, right? So just understand that if someone's unholding to the understanding that God teaches these things explicitly, the difference between the two is, we go no further. Some people say we don't go any further than that. Others say we have this as the foundation and we have some freedom to stay within the boundaries of Scripture. Okay? Does that, does that make sense? Okay. Um, should we permit voice amplification? Should I just trust the Spirit to carry my voice? Or my, my faith is just not big enough if I'm using voice amplification. Is that an element or a circumstance? Nobody. That was an easy one. Yes, that's a, that's a circumstance. The Bible calls you to explicitly do what? Speak the word. <laughs> if you need amplification, use it. <laughs> right? That's a circumstance, okay? Next one. Should we use hymn books or PowerPoint projections? We do both. Look at that. I guess you just cover all the bases like that. <laughs> but is that an element or a circumstance? Also circumstance. Exactly. Um, what clothes should we wear? Uh-oh. <laughs> this is where we start, we start touching to some things, right? You have to wear a certain color, wear a certain, certain style of clothing. The Bible doesn't explicitly say, it's not an element, but I think a lot of us would say, but there is wisdom considering that you're coming to worship the Lord, that if you practically dress up for other events that you call to be important, why wouldn't you <laughs> dress up to be with in front of the Lord? Yeah. It does forbid clothing. It does talk about clothing. All right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Which ones come to mind? You shouldn't be dressing That's right. That's right. That's exactly right. So we do have a don't cross this line, right? But in terms of formality, there isn't a, a certain way or certain level. Like, if you don't wear a tie, that's okay, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but here's the thing, and this is the thing you got to remember. Oftentimes, I think as people, we just want to have, like, a list. Just give me the list so I know what to do and what not to do. But remember we talked about the true essence of worship is, is God cares about the heart. So you could have the perfect list, but your heart could be so far from God, it's all sin when you do it, okay? So understand 
that some of us are dressed very formally, and maybe every Sunday, that's what you do. And you do that because you're convinced that I want to honor God with it, and that honors the Lord. And there are others who don't dress as formally, and it's not because they're like, hmm, honor the Lord, don't honor the Lord. I don't want to honor the Lord. They just don't have that same conviction. But there are some of us who do dress without formality and do think uh, that probably is not the best thing, but they just don't care enough. That's a sin problem, right? Or people who dress very formal and begin to use that to be like, ah, yes, look at me, right? Now they've turned that into a sin as well. Remember, your flesh is very subtle. It'll always try to turn any strength into a weakness, right? It will try to highlight any weakness and try to call it good when it's not, okay? Um, so where are we? Oh, clothes. What color should the walls of the church be? I think we are talking about what we are going to paint them recently, <laughs> so what, what color should they be, right? Or going further, should there be things on the wall, right? Should these things exist, right? Is that an element or a circumstance? Yeah, I think that's an element, but let's talk about why some would choose to have nothing, or very little, or why some of us would have very specific, specific biblical things. So the reason why a lot of churches will have nothing is they don't want to distract from the main elements of worship. So when a church seems very simple and basic, the heart of that at some point in time, sometimes generations pass and people forget why, right? But so it could be because they're like, you know what? These elements that God explicitly shares, we don't want anything distracting if we can control it. So we're not going to pick strong colors or opposing colors. We're not going to put a lot of things on the wall. Um, talking about churches that were built, you know, we always talk about, we call them Catholic churches, but, you know, the, mon the big buildings with, like, stained glass uh, windows, and they're very, like, um, very beautiful, right? Five minutes? Okay. Why would they have done that originally? Eventually, that got turned into a thing where, like, the priest of the church is like, I want a bigger church so that everyone can look at me. But originally, the idea of having a church that had high ceilings and had beautiful artwork is that this is a place that they want you to come to and be in awe. Why? Because they wanted you to say, yeah, this is pretty, but you need to understand it's because we're going to be here with God, right? So even that had its place rightly in the beginning. It just got kind of distorted as time went on. Okay, yeah. Yes, cathedrals. So it's just the idea that sometimes we're like, I remember when I used to back, like, oh, why are they spend so much money on it? What a waste. Why does it take 30 years to make a cathedral? Why do they have so many pretty things? That's just a waste. That's worldly. But it's, a lot of its original reasoning was we want the people to come here and feel a sense of awe and majesty because they're going to worship the king. Um, okay, this is the one that, <laughs> should we use wine or grape juice? Bread? Gluten-free bread is fine. Which one is it? What do you think our church holds to? Well, actually, you should know because we have Lord's Supper here. Do we drink wine? No, we don't. So we would say, I think, I mean, practically this is what we're saying, that these items, the, the bread and the drink, oh, it's weird saying it like that, but it's their circumstances. That's how we would hold it. But I think historically... We're not in the right, <laughs> we're not, we don't have a lot of support. Okay, so I'm going to, I want to take a look at this with you guys. Oh, no, okay, so let's, I think I put it here. Did I put a paragraph from the London Baptist Confession right there? I did, right? Maybe? Okay, cool. Yeah, so chapter 30, paragraph 3, chapter 30 is on the Lord's Supper, and here's what it says. It says, the Lord Jesus has in this ordinance 
appointed his ministers to pray and bless the elements of bread and wine. So notice what he calls them, elements. They're not circumstance in this case, they're elements. And thereby to set them apart from a common to a holy use and to take and break the bread, to take the cup, and they communicate also themselves to give both to the communicants. So this is interesting. So the church has been holding to wine forever, okay? Actually, interesting, fun fact, during the prohibition, the government made allowances so that churches could have wine for the Lord's Supper. Just think about that for a second. So I don't know where, what happened. I, I, I'm kind of curious to see why we shifted. Um, but yeah, when you look at scripture and you hear fruit of the vine, when that word is used, I think some people say, well, fruit of vine, that can be any, that can just be grapes. But that term was understood in the context as being wine, an alcoholic beverage. Um, actually, Luther, he was asked the question like, well, what happens if like, like, like someone can't take the wine because it'll make their stomach hurt? He says, don't take any of it. <laughs> so well, we might say, well, what if they're gluten-free? I don't know. This is kind of an interesting conversation to have, but it seems like historically speaking, the confession mentions it, and you just follow history, has been kept that it was actual wine. Um, I don't know how we got to where we are. <laughs> I mean, actually, let me rephrase that. I can see how that happened, right? Prohibition maybe did affect people's mind. Maybe there was movements that people were like, ah, oh, alcohol. Maybe the abuse of alcohol drew people as far away as possible, right? They wanted to remove as far from the thing. You know what? Now I think about it, kind of pharisaical if you think about it. What did a Pharisee do originally? A Pharisee was like, man, I don't want the people to sin. I know. If I set extra boundaries, then there's no way they can sin. I think we probably did a move like that. Oh, but alcohol, people abuse it. It's dangerous. We see all the hurt. I know. We'll just shift it, and that'll be okay. That's probably how we got to where we go. So are, is there discussion about that in the pastoral ship? So um, it, you're not going to find historically anybody using grape juice. That's very much so like an SBC model of deals and mostly having to do with what you just talked about. Yeah. Culturally, mm -hmm. you know, uh, trying to move away from the abuses of alcohol. So, yes. Do you think, is there discussion, do you think that that, that would change? Or do we feel like we have enough freedom that we can keep it as is? <laughs> so it goes back to your original question. Yeah. Is it an element? Yeah. Or is it dependent? So if you define it as an element, we should most certainly be doing Most it. definitely. If you define it as a circumstance, the determining what that is yeah that's right can i add something to see if it makes sense yeah go for it uh, you know, the, the items that are used are the circumstance but remembering why we do it is the foundation yeah um, where we come from we stayed away from wine because we had a lot of uh, previous alcoholics and that would uh, i mean reintroduce them to yeah the intention or, or even the taste of, hey, maybe I can control it. That's right. In, you know, small portions at a time. That's right. So we stayed into only grape juice. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, we go as far back as some people wouldn't take cough syrup or cough medicine because some of it does have mm. alcohol. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Well, no, and, that's, and I think that's the position we hold. But when we look at the confession, they don't call them circumstances. They call them the elements, right? So the, it does go back to that question. Yes, Julian. Uh, what do you say, though, that that's kind of tricky because, uh, for example, uh, 
women aren't causing men to sin and, and men are lusting over women, and, you know, and, and it would be like, oh, you can't do this or you can't, it's not her fault that he's in sin, right? And the example I'm just trying to make is like with the, with the alcohol. Yeah. Um, if that person is struggling with sin, he should still be held accountable. He should still do it the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, I, I understand what you're saying. Luther would have said the same thing. He say, he would say, like, would not the believer different in Christ? And Christ knows what he's proclaiming when he's instituting the Lord's Supper. He's not a fool to think, oh, man, I wasn't thinking in the year 1900s alcohol is going to be a problem, right? So I know what you're saying. So, so you come from the, the perspective of, like, we want to help our brother from not stumbling. You're, you're saying, you're saying, but if, if, if the Lord calls for us to do something, albeit that some people will have difficulty with it, we shouldn't change what was commanded, even if it's meant to assist and help, right? I'm guessing that's what you're saying, Julian? Well, I think we come also to from, uh, I'm sorry about that. No, 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 go ahead. Conversations is just that I thought water, uh, wine in those times, or if it was, well, grape juice or juice yeah. and fermented turns into wine was safer in those days. Yes, that's a good point as well, right? Uh, I think we also come from, okay, you know, looking at the scripture, was it actually grape juice or a juice at that time, or was it fermented and Yeah, and even if it was fermented, is it this to the point where that we would use it now, right? So these are all questions that we have to interact with. Yes, Julian. But then when, if we desire to hold to that logic, then we have to keep in mind all other stuff that's also not safer, not safer now than it was back then. And for example, food. You know, we, we eat food now that's way more tainted than it was way back then. Sure. But we eat it and we bless it. And sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so I believe if we want to be consistent with that, we must also apply that to all other yeah. areas where we're consuming things that are not safer. Yeah. And actually, this is a good point to bring up. I'll, I'll get to you. Um, why the regular principle to me seems like the safer position because what happens if you kind of open doors to like freedom things will start to shift maybe for good things at first right it's like oh okay like let's make an exception here and such and there but what happens is generations go by people lose sight of the root right and so these are these are great things people i mean like i said our church uses grape juice there's a reason for it so we're not i'm not against what you're saying sir but it is interesting to think about that, like, that's how it starts, right? Like, you, you open a little bit, and then you kind of shift a little bit here, and then 10 years later, you shift over here, and next thing you know, you're completely far from what the original was. And that seems to be the story of the Roman Catholic Church, right? So why, why is it that the Reformers are like, why aren't you guys, why are we missing all this? Because they shifted one step at a time from, from what Scripture said. Scripture became more of, well, those are just principles we can draw from, but we don't have to, as opposed to the Word of God, right? You were saying? Yes, I, I, just to be clear, I wanted to ask that since the confession calls it um, the bread and the wine and element, would we say that because we believe, like you said, the Baptist distinctives were a little more Thomas church, that this is an area where we actually disagree with the confession? Yeah, so remember, like I said, I don't think we can call ourselves Reformed Baptists in the most classical sense. We would have to hold to the confession as a whole. We clearly differ in some things, right, as of right now. So, yeah, we, we would differ in that way, right? Yes. So this goes back to the point we made earlier, right? 
when we are considering tradition, right? We need to like take seriously other people yeah. who have different positions. Yeah. Who are trying to be faithful to the scriptures. Yeah. Right? And not just dismiss everything that they say. That's right. Out, you know, just because they don't uh, agree with you. You know, because like people are wrestling up. These things have been, like, you're not the first person to ask these questions. <laughs> my dovey. People have and argued over for the last 2,000 years. That's right. And there are men who are much wiser and smarter than anybody in this room who yeah. have fallen on both sides of these positions. That's right. So, I think we need to, like, be less critical of God's servants as we are sometimes and just make sure that we are, whatever conditions that we're trying to hold to, that we're actually doing something from the Word of God. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and that's kind of ultimately... Like, so that's what I kind of want to uh, finish in here. It's like, okay, we all, oh, did you have a question? I didn't have a question. Statement. I just kind of wanted to say, I thought this was a good point to mention that um, it's good to recognize that the Lord has given us wisdom yeah. and given us uh, shepherds and overseers. And you guys are the ones making those decisions. <clears throat> and then we decide to join the church. That's and right. So I think it's always, um, wise, right, to listen to scripture. We're supposed to love our brother, um, and we're supposed to make sure that we're not turning into Pharisees. That's right. Being legalistic. Um, so we have to do both and. We can't all, we can't choose which one we're going to be. We have to do both. And so I just say that I thank the Lord for being in a church where they are genuinely seeking scripture and looking at these confessions, putting them together and trying to make the best decision as um, using scripture as a guide and then saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. Sure. And, and just a reminder that, I mean, all, all truth is God's truth. But in scripture, you would see historically there's always a distinction between what we would call closed hand issues and open hand issues, right? Closed hand issues are things you do not compromise on. So the deity of Christ is not something that you can, oh, you don't believe he's God? That's okay. We're still brothers. No, that's not how that works, right? There are certain truths that you do not you do not quit. You do not give up, okay? What we're dealing with now is a very important aspect because it refers to how we practically worship every week, but it is not a heaven or hell issue. Does that make sense? But I want to be careful here because if I know the tendency of our flesh, well, if it's not heaven or hell issue, then why are we even talking about it? It doesn't even matter. But if you really want to worship God in spirit and truth, then you are zealous and concerned about trying to do all that God calls. And in terms of the idea of being small or big, you don't think that way. You're like, Lord, I just want to honor you in every aspect of my life. So I just want you to take it serious, but don't take it to the point where you're now dividing because of things that are not going, that God doesn't divide for in the Lamb's Book of Life, okay? So be studious in your studies, examine and test these things, um, and hopefully you can come to a conviction, not just because it's been taught up here, you've heard it before, but you can say, I see what it says in scripture, I'm leaning towards this. I want you to have that kind of peace of mind, right? We don't want you to just believe it because people say it, we want you to believe it because it's said, and if it points to scripture, take it. If it doesn't, then you throw it away. Does that make sense? Yes, John. Ah, I was, I, that was one of the questions I was going to bring up. Thank you. Uh, so, if you remember what I, I quoted uh, on the church, it said, uh, let me just read the part again. It says, uh, 
where to go. Okay, it said, this is page four. He says, I'm about halfway through, and there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God, the government of church, common to human action societies, which are to be ordered by the light of and Christian prudence. So what that's saying is like, there's some things that aren't explicit, and you just have to use wisdom when you have them. So, okay, go ahead. So we actually talked about this in the past. Oh, nice. We should do. Yeah. Yeah. Can't force you to go to Wednesday night Bible study. That's the one day when everybody is made Has to come. To yeah. So you should be getting announcements that day. <laughs> yeah. And and I think the way that I I read about it was, you know, there are just some things that practically speaking as human beings in finite space time we have to interact. And so the 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 the, um, the wisdom point there is. If you're going to include those things, do it in such a way that it does not take away from the elements of worship, right? So we do it in the beginning. I think that's really sweet. We just get it done, knocked out, and then we go straight into the reading of the Word of God. A way that that could maybe be foolishly done is like the pastor's preaching, and about halfway through, he stops the sermon, and he starts giving the... um, the announcements, or we're taking the Lord's Supper, and we're supposed to be like weighing on these things, and he's like, oh, by the way, as you're thinking about how God is good in this, I'm going to give you the announcements. So that's where that, the wisdom comes in. Are you putting these things that are not worship elements of worship, but are important, but in such a way that the, the main dish isn't being removed as the main dish? Does that make sense? So that's how I would answer that. But um, this has been a good time. So I, I guess we're leaving... Remember, worship, God cares about the heart of the man and woman. Um, God is good to give us eyes to see him and to see him as precious. So first thing is just examine your heart. Have you perhaps drifted from the reality that Christ is your all in all, that he is your great treasure? Uh, Return to him in that. And if maybe you feel hardened or indifferent to that reality, the promise of the word is that if you knock, he will open. Seek him in truth in his word and he comes to his people, okay? The other thing is that we worship corporately. It's not just because it's easier or because it's nice, but it's because it's prescripted by God. And so just be thankful that God has given us particular ways to worship, and we practice it here by God's grace. And also remember that there are things that perhaps we can agree to disagree. But either way, make sure you study these things and you know them because, not because you want to beat someone or, or, or be smarter than someone, but rather because you want to honor the Lord in everything that you do. So let me pray. Uh, Father God, we just thank you uh, for your goodness. We thank you that we can be called your people. We thank you that you accept our worship when it's following what you have commanded. Uh, Father, the reason we can boldly enter the throne is because of Christ. Uh, because any of our, the only way any of our worship is acceptable is because of Christ. And we thank you so much for that. Lord, please restore into our hearts the joy of salvation. Restore into our hearts that you are our great hope and treasure. You are worth more than all the silver and gold. And Father, just help us to remember that that is our greatest gift. That is our greatest treasure. You, that you are our God and we are your people. Uh, Lord, just help uh, these people to study the word anew, that they would re-examine what they believe and they would seek to find it 
in your word, for your word is truth. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.